Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. With you, Would you take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26. I'm starting a new sermon series today entitled Crossroad, Decisions That Determine Our Destiny. Here, here's the truth. Every person will have some decisions in their lives that impact them for years. And there's sometimes you're standing at a crossroad in life and the decision you're going to make will impact your eternity. And really you can be at a point where you can go either way. You can go left or right. But the results of a bad decision could be disastrous. It's decisions that determine our destiny. We call that a crossroad. The interesting thing is on the road to the cross, we see multiple characters that had a crossroad decision. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of dive in and look at some of these characters as Jesus was on the road to the cross. We're going to look at some of those characters and talk about the decisions they had to make because it often affects us as well. So today, I want to preach on this subject, long-distance relationship. Long-distance relationship. Now, I don't know if you heard about the um, I don't know really how you say the name, whether it's Carico or Caricio sisters, but uh, they were the sisters that in Humboldt, California, just uh, the first part of March, just a few days ago, it'd been raining and raining and raining. And finally on a clear Friday afternoon, the sun had, uh, had come out. And so they went to their mom. They are eight. Leah is eight. Caroline is five. They went to their mom and they live next to a state park. And they said, Can we want to go for a hike, Mom? And Mom was doing chores, and she said, okay, when the chores are finished, we will, we will go to, uh, on a park ride, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, what am I trying to say, go on a hike then. And, uh, and, and, and so they didn't want to wait. And so Leah, age eight, and Caroline, age five, struck out on a hike all by themselves, unbeknownst to their mother. And they were missing for 44 hours. By the time her mom realized it, of course, she looked for them and called their name and got dad, called dad home and he looked for them and called their name and neighbors and they looked for them and called their name. And finally, a few hours later, they called the police and the police employed over 20 agencies, over 200 searchers. They used ATV machines, helicopters, heat uh, detection planes and dogs trying to find these two girls, Leah age eight and Caroline age five. They were lost for 44 hours. And when they finally found them on the Sunday afternoon, the temperatures were expected to drop into the thirties. They would have surely died. They'd been trained by 4-H. And so Leah, the, the oldest girl had some of that 4-H training. And so she had been uh, uh, she knew that she was gathering moisture off leaves in the morning and that was hydrating them a little bit. They were underneath, a, I think it was a blueberry bush at night and covering up with their jackets to keep the rain and the dew off them. And finally, after 44 hours, here's the uh, kind of the home video of them being found. They were found de uh, dehydrated, bruised up, scared, but the hospital said overall in good shape. They were 
four miles from their home. All because they wanted to go on a hike. All because they got too far away from where they should have been. And they got lost in the wilderness. Can I tell you this morning that we can be guilty of what an eight-year-old and a five-year-old does? We can be guilty of it spiritually. Often we as Christians are much like those kids. You remember there's a songwriter who wrote a song, an old hymn we used to sing, and he had this line in here that applies to your life and my life so many times. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We have this wandering tendency as Christians. We have this leaving the God I love tendency as Christians. We're, we're prone to get away from God. We're prone to pull away from God. And when we do it, here's what happens to us all the time. We get lost in the wilderness as well. We keep a long distance relationship with God. We get too far away from where we ought to be. And we wind up wandering in the wilderness as well. There has to be a point in our lives where we make a crossroad decision. And we say to ourselves, I no longer am going to follow afar off. I'm going to get close to the God who loves me and saves me. It's the same decision on the road to the cross that a guy named Peter had to make. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it in Matthew chapter 26. And I'm going to, we're, we're not going to read the entire story, but we're going to read a lot of it and I'll reference some of it later. Look beginning in verse number 47, Matthew 26 verse 47 while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him, and suddenly... One of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father? He will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? That hour Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples, the Bible says, forsook him and fled. Verse 57, and those who laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now flip over to verse number 69. What happens in between verses 59 and 68 is they put an illegal trial on for Jesus. But then pick it back up in verse 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before, the, before them all saying, I do not know what you're saying. When he'd gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath saying, I do not know the man. A little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me 
three times. And so Peter went out and wept bitterly. Thank you. You may be seated. A lot is going on. We get to chapter 26, but we are rushing to the conclusion of the book and we are rushing to the conclusion of Jesus's earthly ministry. They've hatched a plot to kill Jesus. That he, in the beginning of chapter 26, we see the anointing of at Bethany, the alabaster box. We hear about Judas going to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. We know the disciples ate the Lord's Supper with Jesus the last time he would eat the Passover. In the middle of all that, Jesus has said to them, all of you will deny me. All of you will scatter tonight. And in the midst of all that, Peter said, uh, not me, Lord. And Peter has that infamous love and loyalty statement to Jesus. When that night's over, when that night really just begins, Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and there he prays. And that's where he uh, uh, sweats great drops of blood during his prayer. So it's a whirlwind night on the road to the cross. And so as we go into that, we see in verse 58... Peter, who was following afar off, and that's what I want us to drill down on. That's what I want us to see. Because listen, sometimes in our lives, we are so guilty of being followers of Jesus, but we are following at a distance. We are so guilty of being a follower of Jesus, but we are afar off. We are okay with a long distance relationship, and that's never the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be that the child of God is up close next to Jesus in their relationship with him. So how do you know if you're far off? How do you know if you're close? There's some things that we notice about Peter that we need to take a moment and reflect in our own lives. For example, here's what we know. Number one, we ought to walk more than we talk. We ought to walk more than we talk. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, we didn't, we didn't read these verses, but look at verse 33 up here on the screen. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Uh, here's Jesus when and he's telling people, you're going to deny me. Uh, Peter's like, no, man, I'm not going to deny you. Here's uh, Peter who was always the big talker. He was always the first to speak. And Jesus says, all of you are going to scatter tonight. And, and Peter's like, hey, hey, bro, maybe these chumps are going to deny you, but you're not me. We got a thing going on, me and you. You know what I'm saying, Jesus? Although the disciples are rolling their eyes, but the Bible says that somewhere else that likewise said they all. But Peter's the one that said it. Peter's the one that led the charge. Peter's the one that said, Jesus, you have lost your mind. And, and, Jesus, and Peter talks about how much he loves Jesus. He talks about how loyal he was to Jesus. He talks about how he would die for Jesus. And if we are giving out awards for talking the best Christian game, then Peter wins first place for how you talk. But we know how the story ends. Because when I get to the end of that same chapter, Peter has already denied Jesus three times. And here's what we discover in that passage. It's more about your walk than it is about your talk. Can I tell you this? We are in a generation of... Uh, 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 of people that can talk a good God game. 
They know the vocabulary of a disciple. You know the lyrics to all the Christian songs. You can sing Chris Tomlin backwards and forwards. You use the word God a lot. And you talk about Jesus some. And that list could go on and on. But here's what I've discovered. And here's what the Bible would bear out. It's not just about what you say. It's about the life that backs it up as well. Because I'm afraid too many Christians are guilty of talking a good game, but not backing up. And can I tell you, that not only hurts your relationship with God, that hurts your witness to a lost and dying world. Just a few weeks ago, we lost 41, President George Bush. And I talked about him in a sermon. This kind of the amazing things he had done. You know, you, you remember all that and World War II and jumping out of an airplane when he was 80, 90 years old, all that stuff. But George Bush forever will be remembered for one thing, and that, that is the 1998 Republican National Convention. You remember that? How many of you know what I'm about to say? You remember what George Bush said in 1988? August 18th, Peggy Noonan, who had written a speech for George Bush, and I'm telling you, it was a home run speech. Peggy had nailed it. She had written some things for Reagan. She just knew how to write a speech. And Peggy, and there was a lot of pressure to raise taxes and pay down the national debt. And so Bush had been going around saying, I'm not going to raise taxes. Taxes will not be raised. And so Peggy Newton wrote this line for him in a speech that is the line that we remember about George. How many, you, you know what I'm about to say? Let me show it to you. And I'm the one who will not raise taxes. My opponent now says he'll raise them as a last resort or a third resort. But when a politician talks like that, you know that's one resort he'll be checking into. And I... My opponent... My opponent won't rule out raising taxes, but I will and the Congress will push me to raise taxes and I'll say no. And they'll push and I'll say no. And they'll push again and I'll say... To them, read my lips. No new taxes. Say it with me. Read my lips. No new taxes. How many of you remember that line? Like that is the line of George Bush's presidency. That's the one we all remember of all the things he did. That's the one that we remember. That's the ones historians talk about. And George Bush could have done anything as president except one thing. What was that? In 1990, George Bush signed into law an American tax increase. And when Bill Clinton ran for president in 1992, he never even mentioned that. Yeah, that's not true. That, that, was the, um, that was his entire campaign. Bill Clinton kept showing that video over and over again and talking about not being able to trust a politician. Bill Clinton was saying that. You can't trust a politician because... Because he had delivered this one line, read my lips, no 
New Day. He could have done anything. George Bush could have done anything. He could have ran across the lawn with no clothes on and he would have been fine. He just couldn't raise taxes. And two years after delivering that speech, he raised taxes. Historians will tell you today, the reason George Bush was not president from 1992 to 1996 is not because he raised taxes. It's because he said, read my lips. And then he raised taxes. And here's what politicians know or knew then. And here's what we know in our walk with God. It's not just about what you say. It's also about what you do. See, because we're, we're masters at talking. If you've been in church for at the time, we're so good at talking about the Christian life. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked about people like us. He said, hypocrites. Now, listen, be careful. When God starts off a sentence with hypocrites, it's, it doesn't get better after that. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's downhill. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now listen, it is important what you say. Your mouth matters. As a matter of fact, Matthew 12, Jesus said, but I say to you, every idle word men may speak, they'll give an account thereof in the day of judgment. It does matter what you say, but when it comes to your relationship with God, it's just not the talk. It's also the walk because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it's good or bad. If you're in a long distance relationship with God, what happens so many times is we still talk like a disciple. We still have the language of a disciple, but our hearts are far from God. To just bring it into the culture in which we live, it's the person on Facebook who has John 3.16 as their favorite quote and some line about being a child of God, but you look on their Facebook wall and it's full of sin and things that are far from God. Your walk really matters more than your talk. You might be here to crossroads today and you've got to decide, am I just going to talk Christianity or am I going to walk Christianity? Am I just going to talk about the things of God or am I going to really draw close to God? Am I just going to learn some lyrics to a Christian song or am I going to know the God I'm singing about? If you want a close relationship with God, walk more than you talk. The second thing we learn from Peter is this. Number two is if you're hanging back, you're probably holding on. If you're hanging back, you're probably holding on. Now, here's, here's what the Bible says in verse 58. But Peter followed him at a distance. Peter was hanging back in his walk with God. Uh, Jesus has just been betrayed by Judas and arrested. He's being, he's being marched to trial. Now listen, this trial that we didn't read about, it is a joke. It is a midnight trial. It's all kinds of illegal according to the laws of their day. Jesus is not being marched to a trial. Jesus is being marched to an execution. And there was a little skirmish in the beginning, but the disciples scattered and in verse 58, we find Peter still trying to follow Jesus, but he doesn't want to get too close. 
hey, can I tell you this? What Peter's trying to do is follow Jesus without it messing up his life. Peter's trying to follow Jesus close enough to see what's going on, but far enough away so he can deny it if he needs to. Close enough so he can tell the church crowd he's a Jesus follower, but far enough away that if he's with the unreligious crowd, he can deny knowing Jesus. He wants Christianity in one hand and the world in the other hand. He wants heaven in one hand and hell in the other hand. He wants God's way in one hand, his way in another hand. And I'm afraid that just describes too many Christians. The reason you're in a long-distance relationship is because you're holding on to your formal lifestyle. You might be close enough to the Lord to feel okay at church, but you don't want to get so close that it changes who you are. In fact, really, here's what, what, where you are. You want Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. You want the comfort without the commitment. You want the blessing without the burden. You want the dividends without the devotion. You want the promises without the process. You want the output without the input in your life. You're hanging back because you're holding on. Here's the deal. You're going to find yourself at a crossroad and you're going to have to decide, am I going to keep hanging back or I'm just going to decide to let go of my way, let go of the world's way and just go all in as a fully devoted, radical follower of Jesus Christ. Because I'm going to tell you, as long as you're half committed to Christ, you'll never experience the fullness and the blessing and the joy. As long as you're half committed to Christ, hear this, Christianity will always be a burden. It's baseball season. Somebody say, yay, go Braves, baseball season. So ladies expect a lot of baseball illustrations from this point forward. There's a phenomenon in baseball that is in the unwritten rules. It is not written down. It is called a checked swing. A checked swing is when a batter can't decide if his pitch is good or bad or if he wants to swing or not swing. There's a gif of a checked swing. You see a batter going halfway. And it's not in the rule books, it's not mentioned, but it takes the umpire, sometimes the first base uh, umpire and the third base umpire to make the call, and they call it whether it's a strike. There's no rule that says how far the bat goes. Some people say, well, it has to cross the plate, but that's not written down anywhere. It's just a check swing. I don't know whether to swing or not. I don't know if I want to go all in or not. I don't want to know if I want to go around on this pitch. I don't know if it's good or bad. So he checks his swing. In 2012 alone, get this, there were 11,807 checks check swings in Major League Baseball. And by the way, somebody keeps up with that. 11,807 check swing. That's a swing that looks like that. Goes halfway. Now, sometimes in this case, he didn't touch the ball. Sometimes they do touch the ball. On 11,807 check swings, there were no home runs and no triples. There were 146 singles and 13 doubles. 11,807 check swings in 2012. There were no home runs and no triples. There were 146 singles and 13 doubles. That translate, translates into a batting average on a check swing of one. Not 100, 
one. Do you know what that means? When you go halfway on a pitch, generally nothing good happens. And what a great illustration of being half committed to Christ. God in one hand, the world in the other, heaven in one hand, hell in the other. That's so true of the Christian life that if you're holding back, you're never going to enjoy the full blessings of God. You're never going to enjoy the full blessings of Christianity. And so today it is time to be at that crossroad decision and quit hanging back, quit holding on to the world. It's time to go in all the way and decide I'm gonna go in on church all the way. I'm gonna go in on Bible all the way. I'm gonna go in in prayer all the way. I'm going to follow Jesus so close some people around me might think it's strange. That's being a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. As long as you're trying to appear normal to a lost and dying world, you're never going to walk close to Jesus. The third thing we learn from Peter is this, that far off can lead to way off. Far off can lead to way off. Look look at what he says here in in the Bible. Then Peter began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man, Jesus. Immediately a roaster crowed. That is such a sad verse. Peter was the first one to declare Jesus was the son of God. And now he's referring to him as the man. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, You will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Far off can lead to way off. Peter talked more than he walked. He was hanging back and still holding on. And before you knew it, Peter was far from the Lord. Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. I don't mean this crude, to a bunch of little girls. Some little girls were accusing him of knowing Jesus. And he denied three times. And finally, Peter just reverted back to his old fisherman way of life. And he began to curse and to swear. We'd say in the south, spit and stop and say, I do not know the man. And now we find Peter, who all he was doing was following a little far off. Now he's totally slipped back to his old lifestyle. And what started off innocently enough, just not following as close as he should, has now blossomed into full-fledged far from God. Now listen to me carefully. I want to tell you, if you are following Jesus afar off, you are a prime candidate to get way off. If you're following Jesus in a long-distance relationship, hear me, you are a prime candidate to get way off in your Christian life. You say, oh, preacher, that's not going to happen to me. I'm at a safe distance from Jesus, but I'm, I'm kind of in between Jesus and the world. Listen to me. It is you the enemy goes after first. Because the farther away from the Lord you are, the less interested in God you're going to be. Take and close your Bibles and I'm I'm finished. Give me two minutes and I'm finished. You ever been to a big time sporting event and you go to a stadium and they always say something like this. If you go to buy a ticket, here's what they always say. They always say there's no bad seat in the stadium. Don't always fall for that. This is section 23, row two, seat 17 at Fenway Park. 
That's a real ticket you can buy. Now, I'm trying, my wife and I are trying to get to all the stadiums in America. We've been to 15 or 16 of them so far. I've, I've toured Fenway Park twice, but never been to a ball game there. But they're not going to tell you you're behind a green pole uh, when you buy the ticket. There are bad seats. As a matter of fact, you've been to some big-time sporting events. You've been to a Braves game where you've set up, well, especially the older stadiums, way, way in the top. And when you come out, you have to look up. Uh, on the top and you're terrified you've been there ladies you know some of the guys me too you're terrified and you kind of walk up the rail like this like I'm going to die up here they hand you an oxygen mask on the way up so you can breathe the altitude so high you get up there you don't know what's going on in the ball game that sound look uh, sound travels slower than sight and so you see people running and about four minutes later you hear It's happened at a, you get, get boy, some of, those, some of those cheap seats at a Georgia football game. I, I, the last time I took Sherry to one, we got some cheap seats. And, man, they are up high. They are up high. And, matter of fact, we, they were so high, I, I, I knew there were players on the field. But you know what it looked like? It looked like, you remember that little vibrating board you had, boys, when, with the football players on it? You remember that? It, looks like, it looked like I was standing on top of the Empire State Building. That was on the first floor, and I was watching that board down at the bottom. Finally, literally, up there in the nosebleed section, somebody walked up that we knew. What are the chances? So we just started talking. Because you know, the, the only way we knew to cheer was when people down front cheered. Because people down front, they got it going on down front. People on the 50-yard line standing close to the field, they stand up the whole game. They cheer the whole game. They see the sweat on the players the whole game. They see the coaches yelling at uh, uh, the players on the whole game. They see the ugliness of that orange on a Tennessee jersey down there. <laughs> up top, it just all blurs together. And after a while, you're so far away, you really just get a little disinterested in what's going on. Because when you're so far away, you're really not close to what's going on on the field. When you're, in a, when you're at a baseball game, a football game, whatever it may be, you wind up, you find yourself not engaging. Because it's really so far away. And that's true in the Christian life. You, you'll find out when you get farther away from God, I'm, I mean, I'm in church. I got it, preacher. I'm, I'm in church most, sometimes. Every now and then, I'm in church. I know what's going on. I know about that whole 1% stuff. and, and all. I mean, I got it, preacher, but, but you're so far off. You're not close to the fire. I'm telling you, it's different when you're on the 50-yard line. Amen. It's different down there. If you're not careful following that far off, the enemy's going to start laying traps for you. Before you know it, going to be way, way off. Some of you are here today and you're in danger of being way off. Right now you're just, you're far off. You can see what it's like to be close to God, but I don't want that kind of radical Christian living. Be careful. And learn from Peter that a long distance relationship doesn't work. It's not just about how you talk, it's how you walk. If you're hanging back, there's a reason for that. You're probably holding on to a lifestyle. But be careful. If you're far off, it inevitably will lead 
to way off. Now, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, none of that applies. Here's what applies to you. That when you die, there's only two places to go, heaven and hell. And good people don't go to heaven and bad people don't go to hell. People who have trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life, they go to heaven. And people who don't die and go to hell. Can I say this? We're going to be shocked at who made it to heaven. You know that? You're going to walk down the street of gold and you're going to be going, no. No. I knew you. Say, yeah, I didn't live for Jesus, but I trust him as Savior. I regret every day I didn't live for God. And then you're going to be in heaven looking around for some people that aren't there. Because they were good people. But they'd never given their heart and life to Christ. And today, if that could be you, you're, you're, you're a great person. But there's not a divine set of scales in heaven. There's only one question. Have you trusted Jesus? And that process is as simple as ABC. Here it is. A, you have to admit you're a sinner. Can we, can we simplify that? If you have ever sinned ever in your life, raise your hand. Right. So if you didn't raise your hand, you did just then, so we're all in the same boat. <laughs> we've all sinned. And because we've all sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. And really what that means is we can't save ourselves. We can't be good enough to get to heaven. That, that one sin, that one time will keep you out of heaven. Well, preacher, we have no hope. We do. Because B, you've got to believe that Christ died on the cross for your sin. And rose again on the third day. That's why we sing about those two events so much. And if you believe that, you're halfway saved. But halfway saved is all the way lost. So what's the final step is C. You've got to call out to him and confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's just not a general prayer. That is the prayer of, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and give me a home in heaven. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.